Welcome to Time in the Market, a podcast that profiles investors and their journeys. Time in the Market is brought to you by Shareholder Vote Exchange, the world's first marketplace for shareholder voting rights. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment advice. Please enjoy the show. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Steven, and today I have the pleasure of bringing on Yegor from 100,000 to 1 million onto the show. Is that correct? That's the name of your Substack, right? It's 100k1m.com. I see. But there the idea go. is correct, from 100,000 to 1 million. So besides your blog slash your Substack, uh, is there any other platform you publish on, or are you focusing squarely on uh, written text? Uh, used to spend a lot of time on Twitter, which now I guess we have to call X. And uh, so I split my time between X and something that's called Common Stock. Uh, but due to ha- them having some issue connecting my Webull brokers account, uh, I am using it less of it, and I've been more and more focusing on my Substack Got because it. they also have now part where you can communicate more with other readers via something called Notes. Is Common Stock the platform where? your followers can look at your trades in basically real time as you make them? Is that the platform? Yes, it's almost real time. So if you connect your brokers, it's, you know, Common Stock doesn't have the credentialing. They just see what's the numbers, what you're buying and selling. And I would say within five minutes, you're able to see exactly what the person's buying, selling, uh, precisely like the numbers so be it you know dollar 27 three dollars whatever like exact amounts so it's like almost 100 percent transparent interesting but unfortunately it doesn't work with your webull account yeah uh for whatever reason they couldn't fix it and that was a big turn off for me i see yeah common stock is one of those fintechs that we're following closely uh, shareholder vote exchange for a while, but you know our businesses are quite different, so it's just one of those we're tangentially following. Maybe uh, you should know they got bought out by Yahoo recently, so oh seriously, uh, no longer on their own. Yeah, so they're part of Yahoo now, like about a month ago. Interesting. Yeah, Yahoo acquires social investing platform Common Stock. Interesting. Well, going back to you, I'm curious. Uh, how you came up with a name from 100K to 1M. Uh, It makes a lot of sense. It describes exactly what it's doing, but what made you want to name your blog this one? As you can, well, I guess see here by the name, it's very original because I'm a very creative person. Um, Just joking. I literally, uh, I would say the least creative person out of the whole world probably, Uh, but I'm very on point the things that I do. So the whole point was I wanted to, at the time, 
collect all the money I had all over, uh, spread about other um, brokers. And I wanted to see if I can turn $100,000 that I was able to save and turn it into 1 million in about uh, five to 10 years. But realistically, the point is to turn 100K into a million and let the journey unfold and see how things will go. Because as you understand, markets don't go just straight up. They go sometimes up with drastic corrections to downside. Uh, and, you know, over a long term, markets go higher but how and when we don't know and i just gave myself you know five ten years that's a good chunk of time to start because you got to make sure the goal is uh attainable and 10 years should be a good start to see how my investing goes because I'm self-taught. Uh, I don't. I don't have any college degrees. I don't have any uh, certificates, you know, CFA or whatever it, um, relevant to that. So everything I learn is myself. I'm a business owner first, and uh, investor second. And I figured if I can manage my own business. I should be able to pick stocks and see how good I am. And hopefully over long term, I would like to open up my own shop where, you know, get other people's money. Uh, but that's kind of, that, that's the end goal. That's the dream goal. Well, there you go. And I will applaud your choice of name because I guess we weren't too creative here at Shareholder Vote Exchange either. We just chose a name that described what we're doing. So, Straight to the point. Exactly. So in your portfolio that you're trying to 10x, what would you say is a primary investment strategy? Are you long only or are you taking some short positions or uh, do you like to sell options, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, I guess a little backstory to how why even decided that th I think I can manage portfolio on active as an active investor. Uh, I took a sh uh, three day course by Phil Town. He's an investor slash YouTuber, but he's a money manager, first of all. And he introduced me to Warren Buffett uh, more in details. I always heard of him, but I never knew really exactly who Mr. Buffett is. And he introduced me to a concept of being uh, not just an investor, but uh, owner of businesses, which is, you know, it doesn't matter. You buy one share, you buy a hundred thousands of shares. Once you buy a share, you become an owner. And which means for the most part, it's a long only. I am interested in shorting, but I realize you have to have certain way of thinking and you need a lot more time or a lot less hair which i would prefer to keep my hair as it is and not go uh crazy with 
headaches of you know shooting things. So for now, uh, it's long only. I do use options to generate a little bit of income by uh, selling either calls or puts on the shares that I already already own, or the ones that I don't mind to acquire if I happen to be filled in. Like let's say I sell puts and you know I get called for them. I do collect the premium, but I have to buy those shares. And if I do, it usually means I don't mind the price uh, to start the position or add to my position. I see. People generally refer to that strategy as the wheel strategy, right? You first sell puts, and then when those are assigned, you have the shares, and then you can start selling calls on the shares that you now have. And then when those get called away, then you're left where you kind of started. It's not the main objective though. So okay, I see. it's a add on. It's never, the premium is never high enough where I would actually like to, uh, for the most part, uh, you know, go apart with the shares. It's usually a small alpha that I'm willing to generate. But for the most part, those shares, I'm not looking to, um, you know, get rid of. Gotcha, I see, that makes sense. For myself personally, the one thing I've been amazed by in the financial markets is the versatility and the diversity of people's investment strategies. So everyone knows you can buy stocks and some people think, think stocks only go up, other people have different views of the market. But if you dig down a couple layers, you'll find that there are hidden facets to your portfolio. Of course, uh, the primary one that generates income are dividends. But as you're saying, uh, selling options would be another hidden value in your portfolio. And for people who lend out their shares, um, to be shorted by short sellers via their broker. Uh, that's also a hidden way. And of course, what we're trying to do at Shareholder Votes Exchange is also yet another uh, facet of so-called hidden value in your portfolio. So that's one thing I really appreciate about the financial markets. There's many ways to play this game. The main thing is to know the game that you want to play. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm curious how you settled on Webull as your brokerage. I know um, a lot of people use Webull for their options and their trading interface, but I don't know too many people who use Webull uh, for their long only investments. So curious how you arrived at that. Webull was, I, uh, it was a, almost a graduation for myself. So I originally started with something called Acorn, uh, where it's basically whatever money you spend, the change difference, they'll invest into ETFs. Then I graduate myself to something called M1 Finance, where you can buy like a slices, they call it. But again, you don't really buy individual uh, shares. And then, so all those, there was no commission. That's, I guess, where I'm going with. And then Webull introduced no commission on trades and barely any commissions on options. 
uh, which was uh, very interesting to me because I don't really like paying for commissions or paying for things. I guess that's being a value investor, <laughs> not wanting to pay for things. And that was how I got into my options, but more conservative way of options because I know there are people who do a little more uh, risky things with options, I would say. But that was the idea of not paying anything for trades or options and collect as much, uh, I guess, that difference uh, via options or just not paying commissions. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, for myself personally, uh, I think that's where Robinhood first stepped in for me. It's re really enticing when options have zero commissions and equities also have zero commissions. Robinhood, for whatever reason, never just clicked to me. I had Robinhood account, but I realized there's just too many things going on, like, you know, with confettis and layout. And surprisingly to me, that was actually a turnoff. Uh, Webull is very simple. There's, I mean, you can make it complicated, but in all, you can undress it to the point of bare just stocks and options. And that was interesting because the less information I had, the easier it was for me to look at things. And I just never got into like the way the layout. So for some, it's a selling point. For Robinhood, for me, that was actually the turnoff. I know the criticism Robinhood often gets is that it gamifies investing. The confetti, as you mentioned, is yeah. uh, one example, but also the fact that when you click buttons on the app, your phone vibrates a little bit. While this may not actually feel like it did anything, subconsciously, it changes your psychology. So I dodged the bullet there, I guess. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Uh, you're you're too mature um, when you when you start out. Yeah. So uh, I guess maybe shifting gears to you as a content creator. One thing I did notice is that you organize your writing in a couple of different categories. So you have monthly portfolio updates. You have what you call biweekly munchies. You have equity research. And then you have this category called books. I'm curious how you arrived at these different categories. And uh, I think everyone's curious, is there one of these categories that you like more than the others? Originally, all there was to it is, as I said, it was weekly updates, which later moved to monthly because I was getting burned out. Uh, but when you go from posting things every week to posting things once a month, you realize there's not much happening between, you know, the months. Uh, equity research, unfortunately, I don't have as much time to spend on doing myself. So that comes in like, you know, not as consistent. That's where the bi-weekly matches came in. Uh, Again, maybe there is some creativity to the things that I do, uh, or maybe just my sense of humor. But I thought it's, I don't know, I thought it's funny. And apparently over a couple of months of doing it, people realize there is like a lot of value to it. So a big chunk of uh, 
my subscribers nowadays is not just for the updates, but for all that, uh, I guess, to munch on, on investing. And uh, I like writing updates, but due to my sometimes inactivity on purpose, because sometimes, you know, you do something when there's something to do in investing. And when there's nothing to do, you do nothing. And bi-weekly munches keeps me constantly keep looking for new ideas. But given my uh, criteria of for the investment to even be considered, a lot of things I either read or fully or scan, but it's not for me. But it doesn't mean it might not be for somebody else. I was actually speaking to my wife about this. And I don't want to say I'm the original, but there were a lot of copycats after my bi-weekly munches became popular. So I see a lot of people doing the same thing more and more. But uh, the amount of like stock research or links that I put in, I haven't noticed anybody to match. And it's kind of satisfying to know that people I'm helping people to look for ideas and it's all for free like i don't charge for that every buy every bi-weekly when it comes out it's you know as long as you're a subscriber and you don't have to be you can just look at it you know anywhere usually from uh, 20 to 50 stocks that i look not just from substack but all over uh internet whatever my curiosity leads me to. So you mentioned earlier, you are a business owner foremost and investor second. So uh, where do you find the time in your schedule to uh, not only invest, but also write your blog slash Substack? Um, how do you kind of carve out your schedule to do so? I must, I guess, correct myself because first of all, I am a, a dad of two girls, then a business owner, and then an investor. Uh, when you put all those three together and you ask me the question, I have to say it's usually at night whenever everybody's asleep. Uh, and lately it's been harder and harder to do. Uh, as the as my little girl's growing, uh, and we're kind of done with the whole COVID, more or less, you know, the lockdown at least. Uh, but it's whenever I find time. So, like even right now, uh, we're doing this. It's during the daytime, so I do have to afterwards go back to my quote unquote, you know, work. It's whenever I can find time. It's a good thing about being a business owner, good and th bad. You make your own schedule. So sometimes you work a little more in one place, but then you can accommodate in another place. Um, yeah, I don't really have nine to five. So whatever I find time, and it's all kind of intertwined. So investing, work that I do, it's all, sometimes it gets a little blurry. I remember when I was first uh, getting on board at Shareholder Vote Exchange, I got a piece of advice from one of my college classmates, dad, actually. He owns uh, a supplier to one of the Detroit 
automakers. So his business made the equipment that the automakers used. And、uh, he's basically retired at this point. But he was saying, "Hey, Stephen,、um, I know it looks great if if you're working on a project,、uh, working on the startup that where you get to set your own hours. But the converse of that is those hours become all of your hours, even if you don't work a nine to five. It's more like、uh, eight to eight, for example. When you started your blog, I'm sure you had a sense that." It would, you know, kind of take twists and turns. Would you say the current state of things, where you have a couple thousand subscribers on Substack, and、uh, I'm guessing a lot more read readers in general, would you say the current state of things is better, worse, or on track compared to what you imagined when you first started? I feel like it's starting to compound a little bit. Have I ever thought that I'll be at two thousand subscribers, even if it took me almost, you know, on the third year? Honestly, no.、Um, I've seen a lot of guys and gals that they're just so natural at it, and they all they do is either investing related, so they can more add to their schedule, and they're just natural. They have, you know, hundreds.、Um, Of thousands subscribers on social media, and then tens and tens of thousands on like Substack, or they start a Substack, and then in a matter of a couple of months, they have two, three thousand subscribers. And I just realized that whatever I do is almost niche, and I just have to do me. So, you know, good for them, but. Every subscriber that I get, I just appreciate that they're giving their time to read my stuff, because I keep mentioning it. But that's I do this mainly for myself, meaning I enjoy it. So the first reader that this been done for is me.、Uh, a little bit selfish, I understand, but this way I also invite others to. You know, follow my journey because what I do is not for everybody. And you know, you where am I right now? There's a lot of times before in the month I would get hundreds of subscribers and、uh, also hundreds of unsubscribers.、Uh, and I guess over time it got me kind of like. Like a rock in the sense that I just don't care as much, and whatever goes, it goes, and it's just cool seeing that, you know, even if it's all two thousand this year, then fine, and maybe there's more next year. Uh, it just whatever it leads me, it leads me, and um, mostly this is the journey, so you know, I'm just trying to enjoy it. Absolutely. The destination matters, but the journey does so as well. So, thank you for sharing all of these insights、uh, so far. I just have a, a series of kind of fun, rapid-fire questions before we take off.、Um, so, just give me the first thing that comes off of the top of your head. If you were able to go back in time, pretty generic, and give yourself one piece of advice,、um, how far would you go back, and what would you tell yourself? 
Well, I can't go too far toward the Google IPO because I was not in, in America then. But uh, maybe when, uh, jokingly, but when Tesla went public to buy a couple of shares, um, it's probably when, if I were, it's when I was 18 and just tell myself to start investing even if it's uh like base you know etfs and just just as early as possible whatever it is because i started around really 2021 and i didn't even take it too seriously so if i could tell myself at 18 you know invest as much as you can and as as soon as you can i think i would be in much stronger position financially just from all the compounding and it's easy to just you know do like monthly or bi-weekly transactions of like whatever 10 20 30 50 bucks it compounds over a long time there you have it okay next question who's your favorite investor i know you mentioned warren buffett earlier uh, he's my favorite personally but how about you I have to go with Phil Town. He is, I praise him a lot and he doesn't even know about it, but uh, he's the one that showed me, I was very skeptical of going to this guy's uh, seminar, uh, you know, thinking he's going to pitch me some things to sell. And all he did was show me how to value companies and how to have a, mentality of owner and in you know value investor and he still practices active investing so you can look him up and you can find his portfolio i guess i don't know if it's him rubbing on me but some of the companies that he owns they just speak to me so there's just something of him being more closer uh, like availability compared to warren buffett in a sense because I know a lot of investors uh, had a chance in like 2000s of when Warren was, uh, Mr. Buffett was a lot more active to actually interact more of, with him in that sense. And I feel like for me personally, Phil Town is, I guess, like the, that second level of that's easier to, you know, see that he's human. He's managing quite a lot of money and still giving advices and trying to help like retail investors or practically nothing. I had the pleasure of going to the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting in the past two years. And I kind of see what you're saying. The entire room, which is, you know, 20,000, if not more people are all evangelists of Berkshire. And that's not even counting the folks who are watching on their televisions. So yeah. I think the relationship between Warren slash Charlie to investors is more of a many to one relationship. We find friendship and connection in the words that they write that we're able to read, but never directly. So what you're saying about being able to have a more personal connection, I think that makes a lot of sense and resonates very well. All right. Uh, last two questions for you. We'll start off with, uh, what's one of the worst investments that you've made? Uh, what's the one of the worst investments I made so far, you mean? 
that's actually hard for me to think about because I don't want to think about wars just from money losing perspective. Uh, but in generally, what I like would feel the worst about. Uh, just at the top of my head, I can think I was buying airlines during COVID, and I was able to dodge the bullet via options. So I traded my way out of think thanks to options, but probably you know airlines during COVID was one of the worst experiences. Okay, hopefully we can end on a brighter note. What's one of the best investments that you've made? That one is a little bit easier because that's my only for now and first uh, one bagger is uh, a bank that's called OP Bank Corp. It's a small cap uh, bank that got with everything else crashed during um, like a little after even COVID and they're they just had everything that I was looking for in a company from perspective of my like you know uh, management having skin in the game it's being they they have like easy to understand great metrics at a time I just haven't seen like I don't go as hard as I should have but then again, I didn't know at the time because I was still learning a lot. But it made me realize also whenever like the stars align, that's when you ha you have to you know hit home runs. And it gave me a sparkle of understanding that there is in the future there'll be more like that. I just have to uh, keep my eyes open. And uh, yeah, so this time it was one bagger. Maybe next time it'll be a hundred bagger. Who knows? There you go. There you go. Well, once again, thank you so much, Yegor. Uh, where can people who listen to the podcast find you online? What are some of the links that you're happy to share? The best one is, of course, from 100k to 1m.com. That's my Substack. Uh, I'm somewhat active on X, but not as much. You can always message me in dms of x if you want to like chat and get my email i'm very open to like whatever questions uh but that's the two most places that i'm like if i spend any time that's where i'm pretty much spend my time online okay there we have it well, listeners, thank you for tuning in once again to Time in the Market. My name is Steven. Today, we had the great pleasure of having Yegor on. Everyone, have a nice day. Thank you.